The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Good morning, gentlemen. If you could grab a seat, we're going to get started. It's been a wonderful week, hasn't it? Well, we are uh, glad to uh, meet one last time together here. Uh, and I think it's fitting that we close here with some, Q, some Q's and A's as we uh, consider all that we've uh, learned and benefited from uh, from these three wonderful men. So uh, before we get to these questions and answers uh, that you've, or the questions that you've submitted, here's some answers from these men. Uh, let's pray and ask the Lord for help. So please bow with me. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are uh, so blessed to be here uh, in this room now, so blessed as we look back and see um, that all that you've done uh, in speaking to us through your word, um, in uh, allowing us to enjoy uh, the bonds of unity and fellowship that we enjoy with one another uh, around the tables for meals, uh, in these breakout sessions, and uh, even beyond the conference and the relationships that are being uh, built and developed over these days. Uh, We pray that uh, as we leave this conference now and as we wrap things up here, that uh, those relationships and those bonds that we've built will continue, uh, that the seed that's been planted from the preaching of your word uh, would be rooted in our hearts and that it would grow, uh, and that we would leave this week uh, with our eyes more fixed on Jesus uh, than they were on Monday morning. So help us in these things now as we answer uh, what are difficult questions, questions that uh, we require wisdom uh, in order to answer. And so we pray that you would help uh, Tony and Alistair and John as they seek to do this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, as is our usual format, there will be questions that will be addressed to you individually, uh, questions that will be addressed to all three of you openly for you to answer. Uh, You have the freedom to uh, answer the questions, to decline to answer the questions. Uh, Feel free to chime in on a question, even if it's not directly addressed to you, uh, but feel no obligation to answer any questions uh, that you don't have an answer to. So... Uh, We are going to begin uh, with a question for Alistair, actually. Um, We've had a couple of days here. Uh, This question is actually posed anonymously from a member of the Parkside pastoral team. (laughs) You've had a couple of days now to observe Tony's favorable facial hair situation (laughs) and the godly masculinity that it so clearly represents. Has it caused you to give any thought to reversing your oppressive anti-beard policy (laughs) that you've held up to this point? No. (laughs) All right, next question. (laughs) Uh, Tony. Uh, I talked to a guy who was dissatisfied with Alistair's answer to this question yesterday, <laughs> and you uh, were identified as a person who has muscles in places where most of us don't have muscles. So the question was just repeated to you. Uh, what do you do to take care of yourself, uh, eating, physical fitness, all those things? Where do you get the muscles from? Uh, I, I couldn't use steroids when I played, but now I can, so... Uh, <laughs> Now I just work out, uh, try to get in the gym four days a week, try to get 10,000 steps a day and uh, watch, my, uh, watch what I eat, eat a lot of protein. And, um, yeah, that, just to stay active. I stand most of the day and work standing up and just try to keep moving all the time. Okay, excellent. A question for all of you. Uh, in one sentence, uh, how would you describe a good pastor? Um, I'm not good at this sort of thing. A man who loves God and loves his people. Um, uh, I've been, for what it's worth, I've been chatting to some young guys lately and said, uh, and the, the kind of topic comes up, do you love preaching? Oh, I love preaching. I said, I'm sorry about that. 
Because, you know, I, I'd love, the, the, more, the more important thing is to love the people to whom you preach and the one of whom you speak. To love preaching. There's danger in loving preaching and other aspects of pastoral work. Um, because pastoral work puts us at the centre of attention quite often. And there's a buzz about that. There's nothing particularly godly about loving that buzz. Uh, but what we must work to do is, no, not so much to love the activity when we are at the centre of attention, but to forget about that and to love God and love the, one, the people to whom we speak. But, um, best I can do. Tychicus, you know, when Paul identifies him in Colossians, he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. And then this was just the sentence. You wanted a sentence. Um, That's better. Tychicus is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I think the the notion of partnership uh, that is not a hierarchical relationship, but is... Um, um, on this axis of faithfulness as a servant and, and that idea of being a fellow servant and all, all of it uh, in, in the Lord. That would be one. I mean, I think Tychicus gives us a good pattern. Okay, good. Okay, John, this question will be directed uh, towards you. Uh, there, were, were, there were several young men who inquired about seminary education and how seminary uh, and education fits into pastoral ministry. So the question was two parts. Was As guys try to identify a seminary to go to to receive their education from, what are the things to look for? And then maybe for men who are currently in pastoral ministry and trying to balance seminary as well, uh, how would you, uh, how do you balance pastoral ministry and the academic side of things of trying to be trained uh, in that way? Yeah. Um, uh, I preface everything with apologies, all right? Uh, I don't understand and I don't know the, uh, the U.S. scene in terms of seminaries. I'm not familiar uh, with the scene here. Uh, but in, uh, let's go through a couple of points here. In choosing a seminary, uh, the faithfulness of the seminary is far more important than the academic rigour of the seminary uh, or anything else. Uh, you, uh, if you, I mean, there, is, there are places where you can go and study the Bible, and the first rule is you must suspend your faith as you start. Uh, you, know, you study the Bible in a sec- secular university, as you can do in various parts of the world. Uh, it's worse than a useless activity, in my opinion. If you take the word of God in your hands and you treat it without believing it, and, and, and in fact, you're in an environment where you're required to treat it without believe it, to, to treat it with scepticism. Uh, that's deadly. You don't want to do that. That, that. that won't do you any good, won't do any else, anyone else any, any good. So you, the faithfulness of the seminary, now how you judge that, well, I think you, you must take advice on that. Uh, talk to those who know uh, and take advice about the kind of place you're going. The, 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 what you're looking for in a seminary is the teachers, um, the teachers uh, who will um, train and help you to lay foundations. Um, so I'd be looking at the teachers, that they are faithful people, uh, that the institution itself is a faithful place. Um, that, that, that's the first bit. Uh, the importance of seminary, well, I spent a lot of time doing it and uh, therefore I'm probably biased, but I do think it is important. I think if you're going to give your life to this work of teaching, you need to know what you're talking about. Uh, and for a life, now, there are many exceptions to this. There are many, many marvellous, great ministries that never went to seminary. Okay, so this is not this is not an absolute. But for most of us, we need help and we need a structure and we need discipline to lay the foundations for a lifetime of Christian ministry. Um, I think that those foundations are best laid, again, this is all generalisation, not absolutes, best laid in your 20s. Uh, our minds sort of solidify after, as, as we grow over. We're, we're less teachable. Uh, I, want, I want a person's training years when they're laying those foundations to be their formative years, not after they're formed. I want them to... If you're going to have that experience of intense study of the scriptures and God's truth... Uh, do that intense study if you have the opportunity to do it 
uh, when you are formative and, and so that they will become part of you. Um, uh, if you're looking at a lifetimes ministry, I personally think it is worth setting aside that time to lay those foundations as deeply and as thoroughly as possible if you know, life has given you the opportunity for that. I've chatted to a number of you uh, these couple of days where you're in a situation where that's just not a possibility for financial reasons or other reasons, family reasons, so on. That's okay. That's okay. These aren't rules. But all things being equal, which they very rarely are, uh, I would be looking to uh, advising a person heading for a lifetime of ministry to spend a significant amount of time in their 20s in an institution where they will be faithfully taught by godly teachers uh, and lay deep and firm, uh, deep foundations for uh, the years that lie ahead. The best I can do, I think. Yeah, I would echo that and then maybe add a point. Um, a student came to me one time, or a pr- prospective student, and, and asked, do I really need seminary? Um, you know, Charles Spurgeon didn't go to seminary. And I was like, well, you ain't Spurgeon. Um, and, and nobody else is. And you got most the beard, of us. But not yeah, the beard, education, yeah. 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 Another, another good argument for the beard is Jesus and Charles Spurgeon. But um, <laughs> <laughs> most, of us, most of us need all the help we can get. That was my point to this guy is um, get it while you can. Um, and the other thing that I, I tell students is, regardless of where you go to school, um, so much of it depends on your own hunger and zeal to learn. Uh, you can be a lazy student and go to a great school and not have a great experience. And I also know guys who are just sponges, and they may not go to the best of schools, um, um, but still they're absorbing, they're learning, they're hungry. And so um, Judas had Jesus Christ and still did poorly. <laughs> you can go to a great place and still make a hash of it. Um, and so wherever you go, be all in and, and really invest yourself. Um, that's what I would encourage guys with. That's good. Tony, if we can stick with you, there's a question that was directed to you in regards to church planting. Uh, what advice would you give a young, brand-new church planner about managing expectations at the outset of starting ministry, considering all the potential discouragements and challenges uh, represented therein? Yeah, I think uh, take the long view. Um, prepare yourself for a 30-year run. Uh, make sure you're going at a pace that you can sustain. Make sure that you're not isolated, that you have good people around you that can speak truth into your life, that you're taking a day off, um, that you're spending time with your family, that you don't make an idol out of ministry, that you don't, um, you don't make the pulpit uh, an idol even as possible. Um, but that uh, you pursue simple faithfulness for decades. Um, that's, that's what I would encourage uh, from, from the outset. And so um, uh, it, we can't control growth, right? We plant the Lord waters uh, or, you know, others water. Only God gives the growth. Um, and so just, just be faithful. I love the picture of faithfulness that Paul gives in Second Timothy 2 with the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. I really love the farmer just because... Farming's not glorious, but it's a great metaphor for ministry. We go out, we work hard, we beg God for rain, and uh, we give him glory if we see fruit. And, and farmers are farmers for a lifetime usually, you know. And so those are the kinds of expectations. It's not a rock star, it's a farmer, you know. And it's steady, day-by-day faithfulness, relying upon the Lord, hoping to do this until we die or we see Jesus. Amen. Part of what you said is a good segue into a question that was addressed to all three of you. Uh, the question being, uh, being a pastor or being in ministry can be isolating or even lonely. It can feel difficult to confide in anyone when you're struggling, especially in the unique role of being the spiritual leader of the congregation. How do you wisely choose who to confide in, who can hold you accountable, and who can you turn to in ministry uh, aside from turning to the Lord? For me, it's our elders. Um, you know, we're pretty transparent with each other. Uh, we have, uh, we also divide into kind of elder groups with our wives, and that's that's been really meaningful, especially to my wife, as we've had some real challenges um, in the last couple of years. Uh, just being able to confide in people and feel loved and cared for and prayed for, but also that uh, 
things can remain confidential and not everything's aired out and you know the open and that that kind of thing whatever you're perhaps having challenges with your kids or, or whatever it is and um, having spaces where you can really um, share burden and concern and, and be prayed for uh, that space for us has, has really meant a lot yeah well that would be true as well for for myself um, but um, elders um, both those who are uh, presently functioning in that way but also those who are elders to us in the faith um, who may actually be older than us but they may not be older than us they may actually be um, just mature people that we are able to um, confide in and identify with and um, um, for for myself, the, the photographs on my walls uh, hold me accountable, and you know the photographs that are there. Um, I haven't added uh, Woodhouse yet, but I'm hoping for a photograph. Um, Tony as well. I'll put him up there. We may face. We may do a little. You know, face. What do you call that thing when you? Yeah, FaceTime, not FaceTime. When you, when, what? Photoshop it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I'll clean, I'll clean him up and then put him up. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, no, but it, in, in all honesty, you know, you talk about faithfulness to the task and staying at your desk when you're not really making a go of it. It's, there's just something solitary for me about looking over and seeing Dick Lucas's face and Eric Alexander, and Derek Prime, um, and and Alec Mattia, and John Stott, and John MacArthur. They're all there, and it's like when I look over, they go, don't get up. You stay there. Stay there. And, um, and, and so I usually do. Um, yeah, I could say more about that, but there are people... Um, who were here at the very beginning of life for me uh, that remain uh, very important to me. Uh, one particular doctor who was an elder um, is someone that I can uh, go to and uh, know that he will uh, be honest and faithful and helpful. I don't think I can add much to that. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, I I have deliberately maintained and helped and, and, and kept up friendships with a small number of older people, even older people, uh, uh, over the years that have been a constant encouragement to me in open friendship. And I've got to a stage of life where uh, a small number of uh, young guys approach me and say, could we have a cup of coffee once every couple of months? And uh, that's a delight to me. And if I can encourage younger guys, which you approach an older person, the older person usually appreciates the opportunity to do that. Uh, it's a joy to us. We feel a little bit intimidated approaching you, but you approach us. And uh, if, if there is an older person in your circle that you know that you'd like to, it, you know, it doesn't have to be intense, it doesn't have to be terribly time-consuming, but that you touch base with and you expect them, you, you encourage them to, say, to ask you how things are going... Uh, to ask a few searching questions with some regularity, meet up with them, wh whatever's doable, uh, once a quarter. That'll be OK, uh, just a few times through the year. Um, those can be valuable relationships. And if you're, if you're feeling the need for something like that, then I just encourage you to take the initiative and form it, and you know, form, that, form that friendship, approach someone. Now, they might say, no, I can't do that. We'll approach someone else. Don't be discouraged. Good. Alistair, it's come up uh, that you've recently come out of a sabbatical. Tony's about to take one. Uh, do you have any uh, advice for Tony and those like him who uh, might be considering how, the, how they can use that time well? Uh. Well, one of the things I thought about doing was uh, growing a beard. Uh, and and uh, but I only had 13 weeks, so it wasn't possible. <laughs> uh, I, um, 
context really matters um, for me. And Tony and I spoke a little bit about this. I said that um, that coming out of the two years of COVID and everything that had gone along with it, I think I was aware of the fact that um, um, my battery was running down and to be um, set free from Sunday by Sunday by Sunday because those weeks come at you, as we all know, really fast and hard. And I, I, I was beginning, you know, I, I could only, um, I, I couldn't get beyond chapter 20 of Second Samuel without taking a big break. And so I, you know, I would just say, do what you want to do and don't let, don't let, uh, don't let somebody, my advice would be don't let somebody make it an imposition. Uh, in conjunction with the guys that are affording you the privilege, make sure that their expectations and your expectations coalesce. And if it is uh, to write, as I've done in the past, or if it is simply to rest, if it is to enjoy the luxury of, of reading without having to say, I must stop reading now because I've got Sunday coming, uh, to really enjoy that and the privileges of uh, family life, and uh, most of all, with our wives who often uh, don't have the access to us that um, they perhaps would like to have, and a period of you know two or three uh, months uh, can be very restorative as well in terms of family relationships. I would encourage that. That's good. So the question was asked: As we're kind of living through a cultural moment where young people are walking away from the church. There's discussion of deconstructing of faith, uh, and many doing so because they identify uh, what they would identify as abusive leadership. How do we help our people uh, rightly identify sinful and abusive leadership by all, while also holding intention our call to submit to our leaders, even as Peter tells us, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. I've talked enough already. You're wise. Well, the text that came to mind for me was First Peter 5, just as, as the instructions of uh, do not be domineering, but set the believers an example. And I think um, that's, that's just critical. You know, Paul tells Timothy the same thing. Don't let them look down upon your youth, but set the believers an example. Um, that good leadership is, is not lordship. It's, it's following Jesus Set an example for what it looks like to follow Jesus. Invite others to come along with you. And I think if, if we can live out that kind of servant leadership model, then uh, we're always going to have people reacting, you know, based on social media and, and doing it, making illogical decisions and unrational, you know, irrational decisions and unfounded decisions. But I think our responsibility is to simply follow the biblical pattern for leadership and, uh, and trust that, um, you know, um, the, Lord's, the Lord's church will continue to go on and be strong. Um, we can't always <laughs> control people's reaction uh, to, to leadership. Um, but I think our responsibility, like the text I preached the first day in Second Corinthians, is Paul had his critics. And so what does he want to do? He wants to live with a clean conscience before God. And so I think, I think that's our responsibility. And I think this goes back to the previous question about accountability as well, is that um, we really need to depend and covet the willingness of the fellows who share with us in leadership, whether it's colleagues on the pastoral team or our lay elders, uh, to be bold enough, brave enough, and kind enough to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, I can see that you are, um, I think you're getting up on your high horse here or whatever it might be, and you know that that ha- that has to happen, and our wives need to help us with that as well. You know, I always ask Sue, "Am I getting that tone in my voice?" And she knows what that means. And so, and I also ask uh, other people about it. When you get that, yeah, 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 it's just dreadful. And and uh, so you've got to get that pointed out to you because it can become like almost a besetting sin. And along with that as well. You've got to, we have to recognize two personality. You know, the strength of leadership brings peculiar challenges as well, in the same way that someone who is kind of 
you know, very diffident all the time. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm trying not to. I mean, that's a pain in the neck as well at the flip side of the thing. So, you know, I'm not sure, sure that people would have thought that Luther was, was anything other than a dreadful bully. You know, where the people go to him for counseling. Some poor soul comes in, they're having a dreadful week. And he says, let me tell you what to do. Harness the horses and spread manure on the fields. The guy said, is that it? That's it. Thank you. Have a great day. So he goes home and tells his wife, I went to see Luther. He was very helpful. He told me to spread dung on the fields. And he said that the smell, when it got up my nostrils, would clear my head and I would be much better off. (laughs) Meanwhile, Luther goes out into the corridor and Melanchthon's sitting there. And he says to him, what did you just say to that guy? And he says what he said. And Melanchthon says, that is wrong, Luther. So the Luther type needs the Melanchthon to be at his side, to say, hey, wait a minute, to hold on to the back of his jacket. And that is, that is uh, for me, that's an ongoing challenge. Just, just I, haven't got, I get it wrong. Sometimes I get it right. Then I have to go back and say sorry. One other thing, though. The preoccupation now with bullying and all this stuff is just whacked out, in my humble estimation, to be kind of Lutheran in my reaction. <laughs> um, you know, we, we lived, we, we know what that was about. We went to school. I went to school in Glasgow. I, I, I get that. That is part and parcel of life. And so this, uh, this sort of the helicopter parental role that is hovering over every little bit and piece of their children. Put your helmet on. Don't ride the bicycle there. Don't cross over there. Don't do that. Don't do the next thing. The poor child has got no opportunity really to to face the struggles of life, to develop, to learn how to do all these things. Now, that has bled into everywhere, and uh, it comes out all the time. I'm talking too much, but I, I had an illustration that is parallel to this in some ways. Just yesterday, I get, I get the report from Bob. He tells me all these people wrote into the radio ministry. And a fellow, uh, the trouble is this thing goes out, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, sir, if you're listening to me right now, I want to thank you for your letter. But apparently, apparently what I had done was, as far as I can tell from the letter, I was speaking about the aroma of Christ, that in, the, in time spent in the company of Jesus, you know, whatever. And I had then used an illustration from being in the home of one of our Indian families, okay? And that I had got in my car and was able to drive from the west side of Cleveland all the way home without turning the engine on because of the impact of the curry and that it had just propelled me all the way. And my car, my car stunk like an Indian restaurant for about a day and a half. Well, the guy wrote to me, said, hey, that is abusive to the aging community. You've got to apologize. You've got to get that thing taken off the radio. You've got to sort yourself out. Well, I don't think so. I think it was a good illustration. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing. If, if we're going to cow to that stuff all the time, eventually we'll just be sitting in a corner talking to ourselves. And, um, and so it's a tension, though, isn't it? It's a tension. Okay. Let's go for a curry. Let's get out of here. Let's see. John, this question is directed towards you. Um, I think we can all agree that you were very helpful in helping us think through the difficulty of preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Uh, And even those four points that you gave us were just such helpful tools to put in our tool belt. As we seek to do this better Sunday by Sunday, uh, and as we try to acquire more tools, are there helpful uh, resources, uh, training things that we can enter into uh, that can help us all grow in that uh, more? to kind of go deeper into what you taught us uh, over these last couple of days? Yeah. Uh, sure, there's, lo- I mean, there's lots of material out there. Um, 
I do think that uh, growing and doing this is, uh, happens best by practice. So the actual doing of it, uh, next time you do it, you'll probably do it with a little bit more confidence. And if not, maybe the next time you will. But, uh, keep, uh, but, but the doing of it is the best way to learn to do it rather than lo- reading books about doing it. Uh, but there are books, about, books out there about doing it. Uh, so I've recommended the Graham Goldsworthy books. Somebody mentioned to me this morning uh, the Sidney Grydanus books. Uh, I think are very helpful as well. Um, and, yeah, read those. Don't, don't, don't get too many of them. Get on with doing it. Uh, and uh, get some feedback on how, on how it's going. Um, because uh, I, I do think that each time you do it, you, um, yeah, you, you learn to run by running. Uh, you learn to run better by running in the sand. So uh, get a hard book and work your way through it uh, and do the best you can. And, and uh, I don't think I detect this here, but it's possible. In some circles, there is a, there's a kind of thing, you've got to get it right. And there's a sort of, there's a right way to do it. No, there isn't a right way to do it. The scriptures are rich. And as you do your best to draw out those riches... You won't get them all, you won't get it all right, but you'll get enough right to be a blessing to those who hear you, and you'll get it better and better and better. So go at the task with confidence, even if you feel you're, you know, you're just learning, uh, because it's God's word and it's effective, even in the hands of people who haven't got much experience of doing that. And uh, the doing of it is the way to, I think, to, uh, to learn more and more. Excellent. Thank you. Staying on the theme of preaching, uh, someone asked, what do you bring into the pulpit, all three of you, uh, and what's kind of your method of uh, how you do notes, uh, how, you, oh. how you preach, the <laughs> practicals of that? I take a Bible. Um, and um, it just depends. If I'm doing a long narrative, so we, we've preached through First and Second Kings, we've preached through Exodus, and we've used some larger passages. And when I have a larger text in front of me, I feel like I don't need as many notes in front of me, simply because a lot of time is spent just by reading and explaining the, the, the text in, in front of me. When I have a smaller epistle, I feel like I need a little bit more material. Um, and so I, use, I tend to have more notes. And so in those cases, these days, I, I preach from my iPad kind of have a bulleted list, uh, you know, all the way down. So my eyes are always going to the left-hand column. And then I use some color schemes that are just kind of my secret codes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's pretty peculiar. But um, um, usually I'm, I'm preaching from, from my iPad. Yeah, but I've done a variety of things through the years. Um, I, I have um, the same little book that I've had since... Uh, I was with Derek Prime in whenever it was, 1975. And, um, you know, whatever he did, I I did because I didn't know what I was doing. So I figured if he knows if this is a good way to do it, then I'll do it that way too. And um, so I just got into a pattern in that way, and I've I've never actually deviated from it. I, I shouldn't say never because sometimes the context is different, and I have laid things out in a different way. But... <clears throat> You know, my, my notes um, are, are very full, but they're, they're, they're not, um, I'm, I'm not dependent on them. I, uh, the reason that I write a very full thing out is as a personal discipline. So because as time goes by and you have a greater facility with language and like John is saying, you've, you've learned in communicating and so on. For me, that represents a huge danger. Um, and so I, I work really, really hard. I mean, people would be surprised if they see my notes so that if I stand up and say, take your Bibles and please turn with me, that's actually written down. Well, obviously, I don't need to write that down to... to um, you know, to remember to say that. But there's a weird part of me that says as well, if anybody ever finds these, or if I, if I drop dead, uh, the last thing they will have heard me say was, please take your Bibles and turn with me. And, and so there, there's, a, there's a sense of that. Um, 
Um, I admire the guys that you young guys that can do that. You come up with the things. I'm afraid of that jolly thing that he uses because any any time that I fiddle with that, it just goes on you. It's like oh, it's gone, and uh, and. Uh, because uh, we're of the vintage, I think I can speak for John as well, with the overhead projector, right? Where you had, you know, you had that one where you wound, you wound it up and stuff. Man, I tried that for a while, but it was pathetic. I had, and then you lay the sheets on, and then you lay them upside down, and the people were like, no, no, and just, oh, so you turn it back around. I was, I was, oh, it was unbelievable. So, no, 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 no. I, I'm stuck with my, I'm stuck with what I'm doing. And, and I don't, I deviate from course, as I think anyone who is listening to me can tell. So that the transcripts that are produced from what I've said uh, bear some reference to the things that are <laughs> written down. Uh, yeah. That's, but that's what I take. I, have, I didn't bring it with me, but yeah. And I like that size of paper. And I know how many sheets equal so much time. And I know where I am. And I'm not reading it. But I like to have direct quotes in there so that I can, I can um, reference them and be able to quote them accurately. Uh, these are the kinds of questions I find. Um, I, 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 I don't know whether it's particularly helpful for you to hear exactly what I do. I'm happy it's no secret, but uh, you've got to work out what you're going to do and work out a way in which it, it works for you. Um, I, I'm not happy with what happened to me. The computer came along uh, just a few years ago, really, and uh, I, I, learned, I, I, I learned how to use one. And so I do write a full text of the sermon that I'm hoping to preach. Um, that's part of the preparation. Uh, I, I uh, relate to what Alistair is saying, and, uh, and what I write is not something that you could publish because I'm thinking of the people I'm speaking to and I'm thinking of the, the speaking occasion. So the sentences aren't, aren't proper sentences because when you speak, uh, well, when I speak, let me put it that way, when I speak, I don't speak in proper sentences. You've noticed that. Um, and I write in an Australian accent and all that kind of thing. Uh, why is that helpful for you to hear? I don't understand. Uh, I print those out on A4, A4 sheets, and that's what I take uh, with me to the pulpit. Um, as I'm preparing, I will... You, again, why am I telling you this? Is it, you've got to work out what you're going to do. But I, I, I rise early on a Sunday morning, and I will make sure that I've got a clear hour with a cup of coffee, when I will preach that sermon to myself uh, with the A4 sheet in front of me and a pen, and I'll, I'll, I'll make little, little adjustments, little notes. I'll underline things and, and do that sort of thing. And when I speak, uh, I am very largely reading what I've written. But particularly when I'm relaxed, and I think I've only felt relaxed by the time I got to the last talk here... You, you don't get relaxed here, I tell you. It takes a while. But w when you are relaxed and you feel comfortable, uh, then, then, of course, you're thinking, you, your mind works differently and you're thinking more freely and you, you do uh, deviate from what's written in front of you and come back to it and so on. Um, but that's basically what I do. Uh, and I... <laughs> you know the worst thing? Dick Lucas is always complaining about this. When you go into churches which have tiny little lectins that you've got... Uh, to, to have somewhere, you need to, know, you need to know the physical structure of where you're going to speak so that, what you, so that you can handle what you take up. But I take up these enormous A4 sheets and I'm really pleased to see a large lectern when I, when, when I get here. Anyway, that's what I do. But you work out what you do. Just one thing, that's important what he just said, that, that when we write in order to be heard, we do not write in order to be read. And there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference. Because if people are writing a commentary and then they're delivering their commentary, that is different from actually writing in order to be heard. Good. This is a Parkside-specific question. Someone came on Sunday and made the observation that it seems that you, Alistair, are the worship leader in a way that's unique from the contemporary sense of guy with a guitar leading the worship. Can you kind of explain our thinking behind how we approach worship leading here at Parkside? Um, 
Well, what we really believe is that Jesus is the worship leader, right? That he stands in the midst of the congregation and he leads us in our praise. That there is no such thing as a worship leader other than Christ himself. Um, We've sort of evolved to this, I think, happy pattern of things whereby uh, whether uh, Justin is taking a lead or whether I'm taking a lead, uh, we're simply trying to, you know, advance the ball up the field, as it were, or get, 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 things, get things rolling in a way that um, sets, sets ourselves down um, and, you know, focuses attention somewhere else. I, I, I think it took me a long time to realize that... that the, the influences of me in the early part of my life are actually deeply embedded in me. That I am, I don't like to say this because it sounds as if I don't, but I am still in many ways an alien and a stranger here. Insofar as these things that are givens for me uh, are not necessarily the experiences of many people here whose ministry I appreciate and so on. And so... You know, Spurgeon said, you can let somebody else preach for you, but don't let them do your pastoral prayer. That seems to me to be a fascinating insight because he's saying the shepherd of the flock knows the flock. He can, you know, get to that. It's very easy for somebody else to come. But if you take, as I travel, it's almost as if the pastor, the, the, the fellow that has the role that we're fulfilling is a visitor in his own congregation, and that whoever is in quotes in charge of quotes the first bit, um, you know, in in the worst of cases, uh, lets the the pastor know how many minutes he has, and I suppose, you know, I I think that's a really bad way to go at it. Uh, the, the the leadership is the leadership of the Word of God, and so the person who the person who has the preponderance of the scriptures to hand and to proclamation is ipso facto, ipso facto the, 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 essentially the leader by default rather than by design. So people say to me, so why do you stand up there? I say, well, in some ways I stand up there to prevent somebody else from standing up there. So, yeah, I... Uh, it'd be better if we had Justin or Ruth or somebody answering that question, uh, but I think we have a, ha- I think we have a happy and relatively unique uh, framework. I don't know what you would feel it's coming into it because you've never been here before, and you can be honest. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. Uh, so, another question? I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I think regardless of how you do it, I, we do have a responsibility for leading corporate worship and not just preaching. And I think a lot of guys view the Sunday service as kind of the, the, their preaching dome, you know. And so the pastoral prayer is really my favorite part of Sunday morning worship. And um, I love praying through um, all the demographics in our church. And, you know, there's a kid recently that said, Pastor Tony's first prayer is really long, but he always prays for me. And I think when you began to see Sunday as more than just my sermon that I prepared, um, you know, the, the more um, the more you enjoy it, the more you uh, value everything that happens in it, you know, the more you are evaluating everything that happens in it. And so I'm on the stage a lot. I'm not standing up the whole time, but I'm not opposed to it. And I, I like the, the pastoral leadership that is provided in, in your model. And it's it. I've written down, I don't know, 30 bullet points since I've been here since Saturday. And I've got a lot to think about and talk about when I get back. So I'll give you some better answers maybe later. But I have really enjoyed the worship time here. How about we do one more question Um, for each one of you. uh, If you were to go back to yourself in your 20s, your 30s, your early ministry, uh, and you could give yourself one piece of advice now looking back, uh, what would be the primary advice you'd give? I think what John just said, the importance, you know, the, the, um, love, the, love the people, 
and teach the Bible to them. And I think I would say to myself, you need to do a better job on both counts. And when, when I was young, and when you're young, you're impatient, even more impatient. Um, you, you tend to um, overestimate what you could accomplish in a year, and you underestimate what you can accomplish over the long haul, which I think is part of Tony's answer there. I think, I don't know where along the line somebody pointed out to me that, that the, the ministry that I exercised was very hortatory, or I, I guess you say hort, hortatory, do you? But anyway, it's hortatory. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, like, come on, come on. Oh, for goodness sake, come on. What's wrong with you? And uh, so you're trying, to, you're trying to drive the people. And then suddenly you realize, this isn't this isn't work. You've got you to gotta love them. You've got to walk out in front of them. And um, you've got to let them know that, that you know, you, you, you're, a, you're a struggler on the sea of life along with them. Without becoming a kind of naked preacher, I, I'm not talking about, you know, trying to explain to everybody in a very macabre, often egotistical way about yourself and your struggles and stuff. They didn't come to hear about that. They came uh, to hear from Christ. Those kind of things. Uh, but they remain, they remain issues for me. I mean, the, um, I thought it would be easy by the time you got to the age that I am now. But actually, it's harder. It's harder. I'm really encouraged that you can remember when you're 20. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm struggling here. I tell you, three more years, you won't. You won't. There's three years between us. Um... Uh, Take what I'm saying here with a grain of salt, if you wish, and uh, certainly realize that it, 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 it requires some serious qualifications, and I'm not giving the qualifications, so take it that way. But it seems to me, particularly these days, when the ministries we see are so obviously spectacular, they're the, they're the ones that are in our face, they're the ones that are well-known, I think I want to say to my 20-year-old self, um, think carefully uh, about what you're going into. Look at your heart and can you see that you would be content and you would rejoice and you would be delighted if the Lord placed you in a situation where you serve him for the rest of your life with a small congregation. Not that you want this congregation to stay... You know, there are all sorts of qualifications on this, you understand. But a small congregation where nothing exciting happens, you don't become famous, uh, don't go into the ministry if you wouldn't be content to serve the Lord in a small, unspectacular place. Um, don't go into the ministry um, and don't begin your ministry with a dream that is essential to your being. Now, have, you know, I'm not giving the qualifications, you understand. Um, I, I just think the importance of what we're doing uh, and the importance and the privilege of doing what we do for a very small number of people is absolutely brilliant and worth it. Uh, yeah, I, I keep it saying I'm not giving the qualifications and the expansions that need to be made on that. I'm just trying to make that, that simple point. Um, be humble, man. Uh, you might be ordinary. Most of us are. Uh, you might not be spectacular. You might not be great. Most of us aren't. Um, and that's good for a 20-year-old. I just reached my 30s, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you can really remember. <laughs> I, I just for me, it's like... Um, I think I was very ambitious when I first started out in ministry. You know, you go to conferences or read stuff online, and you want to be like certain people. And and now at 45, 
I just, I just want to live until I'm 60. You know, like, like my ambitions is like, I want to be faithful and not get disqualified. And if I can do that and be faithful to the Bible, I feel like that's a good life. And once, once you, you, you experience certain things in ministry, you realize that there's a lot of shine on things. And, or, or once you climb up this ladder, whatever it is, you realize there's, there's why were you aim, aiming for that? You know, the, the real hill to take, the next hill to take is just be faithful. And that's what I want to do. I want to love my wife. I want to love the church. I want to preach his word. And um, wherever the Lord takes me, that's his, that's his prerogative. Uh, the other thing I would say to my young self is spend more time with the kids in the church. Um, that's, that's the great joy of my ministry right now. It's largely because we have so many kids in our church. Um, but they just um, they bring me joy. And I think the impression that a pastor can leave on a kid um, really has an impact. And it's just knowing their name or playing around with them or, you know, whatever it is, uh, going to their ball games. Uh, I, I'm trying to do that more and more these days, and I wish I would have done more of that when I was, when I was younger. Hmm. Amen. Well, thank you to each one of you, not just for this time, but for uh, these entire three days that we've been with you. Uh, we think it's right to close with a song. So Alistair's going to close us with prayer, and then we are going to sing one more song. Okay. Thanks, Danny. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, where the learning is for living.